came across some research that said food insecurity in early childhood has a link to addictive behaviors in adulthood. And I was like, well, that's it. That is the bridge. That's how I can continue to fulfill my passion project and honor my brother and change lives, but do something that aligns with the mission of our brand. So we got our product and our purpose in such a powerful alignment where we're selling kids feeding products. We're selling bowls and spoons and plates and bibs, and we're feeding children. Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. One of the things that the community has asked us for is helping connecting them with like-minded faith-driven investors. We're in the process of launching Marketplace, a new platform to present your venture and connect with like-minded investors that are serious about honoring God as you are. Everything from philanthropic to market rate deals, from here in the U.S. to emerging markets. Check it out at faithdriveninvestor.org forward slash marketplace. While you're there, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you might have about being a faith-driven entrepreneur. Welcome back, everyone, to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. So great to have you back once again this week. What began in 2006 as a passion project to help vulnerable children has since grown into a booming mission-driven business. Michelle Bulow founder and CEO of Bellatono, is on mission to create fun, safe, and innovative baby products. And with the sale of every product, give one meal to one child. Over the past 16 years, Bellatono has provided over 6.4 million meals to children in need. Michelle joins us to share her story, how God redeems broken situations and the challenges of running a business and raising children at the same time. Henry, take it away. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. William, Rusty, greetings. Greetings. Greetings indeed. Hey, I, I know you're going to figure out a way to weave in the UNC Tar Heels here shortly. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to get it out in front of here. This <laughs> is March. The pass? This is March that we're recording. Yep. Is this like the year that we're going to, like, they're not going to make the big dance? No, no, don't say that. I don't know why you have to go there. I think that that's an appropriate thing to talk about with regards to Duke, right? But I think that I think that we can uh, I think we can all agree that uh, Roy Williams will not be denied that the uh, that the Tar Heels absolutely will be in. And I'll tell you though, to bring it kind of into our speaker here, the last time where I, I think was, I think that was very sensitive to you. I think you took that very sensitively. I may have. I may be wearing a Carolina belt right now. I may be really uh, fired up that my son just got into Carolina, and this may be more personal information than oh, our listeners wanted to hear. That's awesome. That's but I'll awesome. tell you, another time when Carolina was not great in basketball was back in 2000-2001 uh, when um, Carolina lost to the alma mater of our guest that's on the program. Um, and the NCAAs, they lost to Penn State. And in that game, Julius Peppers, the football player, was Carolina's leading scorer. Uh, we have Michelle Tuno Bulo from Bella Tuno with us. Michelle, welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I totally feel out of my league on the sports talk. <laughs> so <laughs> Just roll with it. Just roll I with it. Talk about, and that is kind of one of them. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like? Did you ever go to a Penn State football game in the big, what's it called? I should know what it's called. It's not the big house. It's a, that's Michigan, but it's, it's Happy Valley, right? It's just called Happy it's Valley. Happy Valley. Yeah, it is Happy Valley. And um, I went to pretty much every game. I mean, that's, that's religion um, at Penn State. Yeah. You show up and you show up big and you show up early and you stay late. And um, it was, it was so fun. I was actually there. I don't know what year it was. You, you probably do, but we made it to the Rose Bowl. And so that was a really, really exciting yeah. That means, unless it's in a COVID year, that means a trip to Southern California, which is a welcome, welcome trip from State College in the in the geographic center of Pennsylvania. It's not a very warm place in early January. No, it's absolutely not. And it's funny you say that because that's how I met my husband. There was a, a woman out there who offered her house kind of without ever meeting my husband, super one of those super strange college stories. And he stayed there and she came back and she's like, um, I met the man you're going to marry. Why? It's like, I don't, I don't think you did, but <laughs> bold, that's how it happens. So I have the Rose Bowl to thank. Wow. That's a great story. How many other times had that been told to you up until then? I've met the man you're going to marry, or is that the only time? So again, it's like you're teeing me up for things you don't even know, but yeah. I actually said, no, you're not. And I, cause I wasn't interested in dating at that point. And about a year later, my husband, his name's Todd, um, we had this thing at Penn State called the Ride Board, where you grabbed a post-it note and took a ride from a completely random stranger wherever they said they were going to go and you split gas money. And another one of my friends was doing that and she needed a ride home back to New Jersey and she rode home with him completely random and she came back from that trip and she's like, I met the guy you're going to marry. And it was the same guy. No way. Different people at Penn State and it was my husband. So I was like, you know, I don't even need to date him. Let's just do that. Yeah. Let's just, let's get it done. Yeah. That's really impressive. That's a great, that's it, a great guy. It's, it's, it's a little bit like saying I met my husband who was an Uber or a Lyft driver, but we're not. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit about, yeah, 20 some years ago. All right. Wow. That's cool. Okay. So there's such a great story behind Bellatuno with your mission and your history and the purpose, but we want to start with the history. And let's start first, before we talk about the history of Bellatona, let's talk about your history, who you are. We now know where you went to school, of course, but talk to us through up until the time that you launched Bellatuno about who you are, what shaped you and your history and your faith. Bring us right up to launch of Bellatuno. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the smallest, smallest town in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh was two hours away. It was literally a, a dot on a map. We don't have one person that I could say their name that you would know from our town. Pretty rural. And um, I always knew it wasn't quite my home, if that makes sense. It was just I could not wait to kind of get out and see the world and do all this kind of stuff. And um, I grew up in a very, very religiously extreme family and a very fire and brimstone church. The God that I met when I was young was a God of wrath and judgment and mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. And I remember spending my summers at church camp and truly hating it, just hating it. There was one summer, I think I was maybe in fourth grade, and I got to get a snack at the, I think they called it the canteen, and I got a soda because, of course, I wasn't allowed to have that at home. 
And um, I drank and it tasted terrible and I was so hot. I just kept chugging it. And um, I had someone else taste it. I'm like, this tastes terrible, but maybe I'm just not used to soda. Turns out it had all these cleaning products in it. And I got, <laughs> I got to call my parents. This was on a Wednesday. And I got to leave camp early and I was so excited. I had to have my blood drawn for every six weeks for like two years to make sure I, you know, carcinogens weren't in it. And it still was worth it because I hated church. Oh my God. You know, and I hated, it's like the best soda I ever had. Um, and so How did that happen? I mean, just, that sounds semi-bizarre, right? I mean, this, this is not a promo for church camp. Or, or apparently this brand of soda. No, it gets better. And I won't say that brand of soda, but it was a root beer. Um, but anyways, I don't know how it happened. And they reported it and there was a recall and all that. But I guess my point in all that was um, I was raised just in a way that God was terrifying, <laughs> just terrifying to me. And um, I really, when I went off to college, I did not attend church at all. And growing up, I spent every Sunday at church. We were involved with the musical and my parents did everything. They played the instruments. They led Sunday school. They were the elders. They did literally everything. We spent every Sunday at church, every Saturday night, every Wednesday. And so when I got to make choices for myself, I didn't, I probably took 10 years off church. You know, it just wasn't going to be part of my plan. So anyways, I went to college and um, I took every opportunity to go see the world throughout college. I studied abroad in Australia. I did internships at Disney. I traveled Europe. Just really wanted to, coming from that small town, I just wanted to experience everything. So when I graduated, I came down to Charlotte and I got a job at Big Five Consulting. And the reason I love that job was because I was on a plane every week and I get to see everything. And I should, I should back up and tell you that I came from a family of a mom, a dad, and a brother. My brother was three years older than me. And from day one, we were so opposite, but we were each other's kind of soft landing. And we were just kindred spirits. We just the memories just I they're the best memories he was the funniest person so witty so kind but he was always a free spirit and when I lived at home I very much played by the rules so anyways I go off to Charlotte I get my first big girl job I'm climbing the corporate ladder like literally two three rungs at a time I just couldn't climb fast enough I couldn't get enough promotions I left that job at 25 because I got offered to be the head of brand strategy at an agency here in Charlotte. I had no idea how that happened, but I was like, as long as they don't find out, I'm just going to keep doing this. I loved it. And then travel was international and it was exciting. But at the same time, my brother was um, in his 14th year of struggling with drugs and alcohol addiction. And so as I felt like I was truly living a life that it felt like I was exactly on track. This is what I dreamed about from that small town, this level of freedom, this level of early success. My brother was just in this downward spiral. And when I was 27, I got a call on August 3rd, 2005. And um, it was that call that for 14 years, I would put my head on the pillow every night and be like, don't take him, God. You know, don't take him. Keep my brother safe. And um, so I finally got that call that my brother had passed away. And, um, you know, this time it wasn't like he was missing or he was on a binge or he got in a car accident and we couldn't find him. It was like, he was really gone. And so I feel like that was the beginning of my life 
2.0 and also really the beginning of my own faith journey, like finding God yeah. for myself. Wow. Uh, that's awful. I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, tell us, walk us through that time and what finding God looked like as you are just wondering, maybe even if there is a God or just, yeah, what did that look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still, it's been over 15 years and I still have a hard time to put into words what that time in my life was like. Um, you know, I, I was raised in a church with parents that gave literally everything they had to God, every moment, every gift. And so when my brother died, my parents all of a sudden were like, what God? We've been, you know, we've been praying forever. We, you know, we knew he strayed, but he'll always come back. And their faith began to really be tested. And my faith was already tested because the God that I watched them worship wasn't the God that I felt safe with. So when my brother died, it was just like, what in the world? What is happening? I've watched these super faithful people just be leveled. And of course, you can imagine what happens to parents when they lose one of their only children and they have been so faithful and everything's being questioned a lot happens to them personally. And, and so I guess to answer your question, it was this moment where I was beyond angry, beyond disappointed. Um, and I, I really was like, there can't be a God because God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't bring us here just to like literally drop us with no parachute. And then I, I think it's just one of those things where this, all the light went out of the world, all the breath felt like it was taken from every room I was in. And yet there was this peace. And I can't really describe it, but it was so beyond me. And it was so much more powerful than anything I'd ever felt. And, you know, I remember being at my brother's funeral and um, this is going to make me sound crazy and I'm okay with it, but we were all standing around praying at the end and I truly was not praying. I was like this, you know, this is my moment where I'm so angry. I can't pray, but someone was praying and I, my, it was open casket. So I'm looking at my brother and, as luck would have it, it was raining terribly and the lights went out, which, you know, lights out at an open casket funeral is about the most freaky thing ever. And I was like, God, you got to give me a sign if you really are there. And I know that's you're not supposed to do that to God, but, you know, all bets were off at this point. And I was like, you got to give me a sign. And I remember right then the lights came back on. And maybe coincidence. I don't know. I'm not saying God listened to me by any means. He's so much bigger than that. But that's what I needed at that point to be like, okay, I'm listening. Not that I'm fully there, but I'm listening. And then there were so many just little things that happened, just people showing up and people showing love. And I'm telling you this peace, it just, the peace wouldn't leave me in the darkest moments of my life. It I just knew things were going to be okay, even though they didn't feel okay. I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but that was really the beginning of knowing that there's something real here. There is a real God. As far as I'm trying to run, he's still going to just kind of cradle me a little bit. It's a, what you're talking about is a very, very special gift, of course, and it's very, very personal, and there's no way that I can know exactly how you feel about that. But when I uh, my head my aorta, which is the main artery coming out of the heart, dissected in an emergency dissection with some amount of drama. Uh, 
the peace of God came over me uh, at a time that you would think would be very characterized by lots and lots of anxiety because as you're being rushed to the hospital and on the shoulder during rush hour, the only feeling I could describe was one of being peaceful. And it was really, really a special gift. It was a special gift that God allowed me. And I think that maybe it's a gift that he gives to his children in a time when they really needed it. I really needed it. And obviously that happened for you. And that's a special thing. Um, Thank you for sharing that. I know that's very hard to talk about. Bring us through your career and just tell us about Bellatuno. Tell us about your mission and, and what you're doing there. Sure. So after my brother died, I quit that job that I told you about. And I just... Didn't know what I was going to do next, but that didn't matter anymore. Getting on the next flight and working on the next project, that didn't matter. And uh, I found out that uh, I was pregnant probably almost a year after my brother died. And uh, I knew I wanted to do something to honor him because one thing that bothered me so much was on top of all the grief that we were going through, there felt like there was um, just this stigma of drug addiction and alcoholism that was like, oh, he died. He was an addict. And I was like, no, he, he wasn't an addict. He, er, he was an addict. I'm sorry, but he, he died from drugs, but it wasn't who he was. It's what killed him. You know, he was funny and he was witty and he was kind and he was generous and he was hilarious and he was my best friend. And I'm like, I'm not going to let just that label be how he's remembered. And so I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what. So I find out I'm pregnant and I start looking for things for my soon-to-be daughter. And the look out there just wasn't anything I related to. I've always been expressive in how I dress and I've always loved, um, I'm just not afraid to make a statement. And the things that were out there were very bland and boring and yellow and teddy berry. There's just nothing that appealed to me. So I had a lot of free time. You know, I wasn't working. My only job at the time was to try to grow a baby. And so I'd go to a fabric store and I'd buy these really cool prints. And I, um, my mom actually bought me a sewing machine because she was getting nervous that I was doing nothing and thought I needed a hobby. And uh, that was one of her favorite hobbies. Turns out I hate sewing and I'm a terrible seamstress, but it, the thought was very kind. So she buys me a sewing machine and um, I start trying to make burp claws and bibs and things like that for my daughter because I couldn't find what I wanted. Well, I tend to make long stories longer, but what ended up happening was I started giving these as gifts to my friends because I was in that age range that everybody was having babies. And so I would give them at showers and people started saying, where'd you get that? And there seemed to be white space. There seemed to be this opportunity to put a very fashion forward adult look that was almost a Poochie meets Lily Pulitzer type look on baby products. And uh, I had one good friend who's like, you've got something here. You've got to get out. You've got to show people what you're doing. And I thought, they just feel bad for me. You know, there's nothing here. They just want me out of my pajamas. They want me to brush my teeth. And so finally, just to get a few friends off my back, I made appointments with 11 of the local boutiques and I showed them what I had. And 10 out of the 11, they were like, when can we get it? We love this look. And um, side note, I did get the 11th boutique just three years ago. So (laughs) I got all of them, but it's wow. But anyways, I ended up realizing maybe there's a way that I can sell these products And I can give the proceeds back and I can try to change some stories and I can do it in my brother's name. So simultaneously, I launched Bella Tuno and the Matt Tuno Make a Difference Fund. And we just started 
selling products and going to markets. And before we knew it, we were in with Gap and Target and doors just open that I never thought would open. And we were able to do the coolest work. So we've never to date sold a product without giving back to the Matt to Make a Difference Fund. And for the first seven years of our business, it was all about drug and alcohol rehabilitation. So we did some awesome projects. Like we did an extreme mission makeover where we brought together 17 companies and about 80 volunteers. And we added five bedrooms to a local rescue mission so that that allowed 40 more clients to go through the program per year. We did a one night kind of shopping event where we were able to donate $30,000 to the Dove's Nest, which is our women's recovery program here in Charlotte. We gave scholarships to unwed teen moms because they're in a very vulnerable group. And the work was so meaningful and it was so healing and it was all in my brother's name. But what we realized was that there was this sizable disconnect between the products we were selling and the people we were targeting, parents bringing new life into this world, and the mission we were supporting, which is drugs and alcohol. And people think of addicts because of the stigma as like people in skid row, you know, people that are just out on the streets looking for their next high. And I think sometimes addiction really terrifies people and especially people that are bringing into this world, the people that they think are going to be the first female president or cure cancer, you know, we're talking about addiction and that story. And so in 2013, maybe 2014, I came across some research that said food insecurity in early childhood has a link to addictive behaviors in adulthood. And I was like, well, that's it. That is the bridge. That's how I can continue to fulfill my passion project and honor my brother and change lives, but do something that aligns with the mission of our brand. So we got our product and our purpose in such a powerful alignment where we're selling kids feeding products. We're selling bowls and spoons and plates and bibs and we're feeding children. And then there is a tie back to addiction, but you know, even behind the scenes, we can still do all that work. But forward facing, we now for every single product sold, give one meal to one child. And so just last week, we crossed over the 5.4 million meal donation point. And uh, if products are sold in the US, we partner with Feeding America to make the meal donation happen. And if the products are sold outside of the US, we work with the Global Food Banking Network to make that happen. Mm, That's very cool. Yeah, we've heard you, you know, put the statistic out there that one in six children, you know, are uh, food insecure, which is just a huge number when you stop and think about it, right? So, you know, getting to that problem is such a wonderful thing that you're doing. I'm curious, though, because, you know, obviously a decision-making process had to go through what organizations, you know, how much, when, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs want to give back, but they're a little afraid that, you know, they're not going to do it well, or they're going to give to the wrong organizations. Just go through that a little bit with us for our listeners. Yeah, sure. And just quickly before I jump into that, actually, due to the pandemic, the statistic is now one in four children going to bed hungry. So 25% of kids in the U.S. are going to bed hungry. It's um, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah, so we actually made, a, I don't really do anything without making a huge spreadsheet. So we made this huge spreadsheet and we got on things like Charity Navigator to see reviews. And then we interviewed a bunch of different organizations. And uh, I am really proud of our decision. 
to work with Feeding America because they are such good stewards of our money. What they do, and I'm not, there are so many organizations that are doing really good things, but because they're so big and because they're a network of so many food banks, the money isn't going to overhead. The money is going to connecting people to meals because the food insecurity problem isn't one of a food shortage. It's one of a distribution model. And so that's what they're phenomenal in doing, connecting people to food that already exists, but they just have no way to access it. And so that was why we chose to work with them. Uh, to touch on the point about building some type of give back into your model, um, I think it used to be like this nice to have thing and some people did it for marketing. I actually think in 2021, it's almost mandatory. I mean, we see there's so many challenges in the world and all the statistics about why people buy, the underlying purpose behind a brand really matters. And with transparency and with social media and just with being able to find out everything about everyone and every brand, it's really easy to find out what brands stand for. And standing behind a brand that really makes change or wants to make positive change in the world is a driving decision about why people buy. It's not why we do it. We've been doing it for 16 years. I mean, we're a B Corp now, which means we're certified as using our business as a force for good. But even before we were a B Corp, we were always living that way and following that methodology. When I speak to young entrepreneurs and I tend to do a lot of mentoring, I say, build it in now. It's almost like it's either like tithing where it just comes off the top and, and you don't ever expect to see that back and you want it to be invested in something bigger than you. Or it's almost like when you get your first job and you think, in my case, I'm only making 32000 How am I going to give to a 401k? But the minute that you never see that money and you just live off of what's left and you put that aside first, it just becomes the way that you function. And so that's what we've done at Bellatuna. We actually, to keep ourselves so honest, everything goes into a fund that we can't pull from. No matter how bad things get, I mean, the pandemic pushed us, a recession pushed us, but no matter how bad it gets, it goes into this fund that can only come out to 501c3 organizations. And I love that. And I suggest to everyone, like, it's easy to give when times are good. It's easy in a banner year to just be like, here's some for you and here's some for you because there's plenty to go around. But what about the years where you're dipping back into your savings? What about the years where you just don't know? Because that will come for any entrepreneur, almost any entrepreneur. Times get tough. And uh, I always wanted to be the brand that doesn't have the option to cut that out. So I think you just build it right into your model. And the key to that in my opinion, is finding what you're passionate about. Because it never feels like a sacrifice if you figure that out. I mean, the fact that children were going to bed hungry kept me up at night. And I'd wake up in the morning and I'd think about that and I'd say, how, how can I help? My kids have never gone without a snack. Like, I want to be part of this solution. And so if you find the thing that you're super passionate about fixing, then you don't mind giving the money away. It's, it's a gift. That's great. Um, you mentioned B Corp, and uh, I'm glad you did because that question comes up occasionally uh, from our listeners about, you know, should I be one? How hard is it to be one? Uh, if I sign up to be one, <laughs> am I always one? You know, can you enlighten us a little bit about the B Corp? Sure. So it is definitely a multi-step process and it takes the better part of a year. 
I think from start to finish, it took us 10 months. They just peel back every single layer of your business. And what happens is you, you start by doing this assessment. It's out of 200 points, there are these different pillars. So social responsibility, environmental responsibility, how well you treat your team and your people. And it's just financial giving. So it's all these, I think it's five different pillars and you get points on the assessment for where you rank, but you don't just self-select your answers. You have to send in so much verification and then you go through an interview and then you lose or gain points based on that. And then you send in more verification and more documentation. And at the end, if you get over 80 points out of the 200, you're certified, which in any other test, I mean, is miserably failing. And if you squeak on by with 81 points, you're like, oh, I'm a B-Corp. I mean, it's the coolest thing ever. But you're not certified forever. You're certified for three years and then you go through a recertification process. And one of the things that I love most about B Corp is that you get your congrats. You are officially part of it. You are certified as using your business as a force for good. You have a legal obligation to do so. Um, And then they say, okay, but you only got X amount of points. So here are the 10 things that we know you can improve upon. And they're constantly pushing you to do more and to do better. And there is nothing more empowering than being surrounded by a group of people who are like, okay, that's good, but what's next? And that's, I mean, it's just the the energy from that is contagious. And then we all want to share how we're doing more and share how we're growing. And whether it's with racial justice or sustainability or good ideas for how to treat your team better, there's always ways to learn more and do better. And I just, I love it. I'm obsessed. Oh, that's amazing. Michelle William here. Thank you for sharing. Uh, we're, we're on video. If you noticed me being a semi train wreck over here, I was just kind of uh, living through your story a little bit. Um, I lost my longest friend about 19 years ago in college. And, and I, I just, all the visions of being in the church with her and like, what is happening right now? And, um, and then in the midst of that, we start talking about hungry children. My my son walks in and gives me the first gift he's ever given me that says to dad, love oh. Liam. And I'm just like, I, I, I just I just fall apart. So I, I'm a train wreck over here, but I'm going to ask you a question. But I'm grateful for your story because it's God's way of telling us we're, we're a community. Yeah. And we're together. And we can walk through things together and we can see his light through other people. So thank you for that. And uh, so... I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So one of the things I'd love, I don't think we've gotten deep, but I've already texted my wife your website because I'm excited about getting more things. Um, tell us a little bit about the product line and where it is today and and how you're trying to reach children with the continuation of your unique products. Yeah, well, thank you. Our products are mostly feeding products. So our best sellers are bib. And then we have these great suction plates and suction bowls that, that stay on the table. So when kids are in that early feeding phase and they're knocking everything off just to watch it fall because it's fun, we're trying to come up with solutions for that. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to be part of the solution for the hunger crisis, but we're also trying to be part of the solution for parenting, to try to make things a little easier on parents. And also, if you look at our products, if you check out our website, it's just a reminder that parenting's fun. We try to have such a sense of humor in our products. So our main collection, it really is just these fun sayings that hopefully when you put that bib on your kid that says cheeks for weeks or, and we literally have like 
300 different SKUs and I can only think of cheeks for weeks right now. But anyway, hey, if, I, if I send you a picture of Eloise, you'll be like cheeks for weeks. That one works. <laughs> that one works. Or like Alexa, where's my lunch? Or, you know, something like that. You, um, you just remember, this is fun. I need to stop and enjoy it. But one other thing we've really been able to do through our products is launch collections. And my favorite collection that we've ever launched is called the Kindness Collection. And for that collection, we give two meals instead of one for every product sold because we believe there's truly no better investments. We wanted to double down on that. But the mantras are things like love more, choose joy, stand together, kind is cool. And I just think putting that on a child as a statement that the parent believes that this child is walking around holding that teether or eating from that bib, it's just a really, really sweet and innocent and just a, a great message to be putting out in the world from the very beginning. We also have collections. We do a lot of different collections, but um, that was by far my favorite collection. We have one that is a little advocate collection. And um, that one says things like, they're more about saving the world and just statements about really wanting to create the world that we want to live in. And so it's fun to get to use our products as a larger voice as well. Amen. And it sounds like, you know, you've lived, you, you've used your life to create this voice. And I think that's something we see in a lot of entrepreneurs. And I love the word you used passion. And every time I think about that, I think about, of course, Jesus going to the cross and, you know, the passion meaning to suffer with, right. And, and he was willing to suffer with and for us. And that's what kept him. And you said the words, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. And I feel like one day we're going to talk to Jesus and he's going to say, it wasn't a sacrifice. Like yeah. I knew, I, I knew what the suffering was for. It was for you. And I love you so much. It was a gift. It was something I love to do. And so I'd love for you to maybe walk through some encouragement and, and maybe some thoughts for other entrepreneurs that may be listening. How, how to use your life and your personal stories to find the place God may be calling you to make a difference? Yeah, I think that's such a personal journey to get there, but that's kind of my best piece of advice, like to actually own your story and use your story. I mean, it's what makes you uniquely you and therefore uniquely qualified to do something nobody else can do. And so I think so often when people look up to someone else and want to be just like them, they're robbing the world of what they had to offer. And so it's taken me a long time to realize that my story isn't what I would have authored myself. And there's been a lot of pain to it but I'm grateful for my story. And, you know, through that pain, I've found my passion and that's led to my purpose. And then that's done some really powerful things. And so I think that's number one, like do not back away from your own story, get to the point that you can face it and use it instead of run from it. I also think when I look at young entrepreneurs, I think find your own measuring stick for success. I mean, the world's going to tell you it's your profit and loss statement. That's not always it. You know, in our case, it's meals. And that's how we measure things. And that's how we reward our top salespeople. It's not like how much money did you bring in? It's how many meals did you donate? And we send them thank you with those meals. Or we commission, we actually commissioned a brand to make a custom necklace for our top salespeople. And it was made by homeless people out in LA. And it said, give stamped into it. And it's like, those are the things where we just, we want our measuring stick 
to be giving. And we want it to be so much more than just about the dollar. And so I think it's important for everyone to find what success is to them. And that's a very, very, it's a personal journey. And then the other thing is, like I shared with you in our story, when we started sharing our story and it was all about drugs and alcohol. And then we were doing photo shoots with these sweet little babies in these sweet little soft blankets and the connection wasn't there. And I think it's really important. You can support whatever you want to, but to make sure that your forward facing products and brand and mission align with your purpose, because that's when it's like jet fuel. You know, it just becomes like this rocket launch when everything can be digestible. And I think that's a really important thing. Oh, I love that. Own your story, understand your own measuring stick and and alignment is Mm -hmm. what I hear at the end. Just what amazing advice. And unfortunately, we're going to have to come to a close here in a minute, which is always the saddest part, but sometimes it's the most fruitful part with the last question. One of the things we love to do is to see how God continues to weave his story through his scripture and how it continues to be alive and well and always teaching us. And and we love seeing how our guests and our listeners uh, can learn from each other. And so what I would love to ask you and invite you to, if if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, where God has you in his word today, could be something uh, this morning he told you, could be something a friend texted you, could be something you've been studying for years and it's the season, but uh, love to invite you to share with our audience. So, you know, there's two verses, not to use the Bible like a fortune cookie, but there are two verses that I feel like I hold on to for dear life. And the first one um, is Jeremiah 29, 11, and it talks about the plans God has for us and it's plans to prosper us and plans for good and not evil. And um, I just kept hearing that verse over and over in my head after my brother died and when I was pushing God away and truly tried my best to forget everything that I learned in church growing up. And I just kept hearing that. And then more recently in my life, it's, it's the verse in Romans, I think it's Romans eight twenty eight, And it's that verse where God works all things together for good for those who love him. And I think that so long, I believed that all things had to be good. Like everything God gave was good. And that's certainly not been my story. There have been some terrible things and some really bad things, but I started diving deeper into that. And I'm in a Bible study and we talk about this a lot. It's that God works all things together for good. And so even though there is so much pain and I feel like so many times where seemingly I, I fell, he was always there to pick me up. And it was like, this is part of the story. So looking back, there was this weaving going on And at the moment, so much of it was so bad, but together it can be something beautiful, right? Um, And it doesn't mean that the bad turns good. And it doesn't mean that all things have to be good. It means that God works all things together for good. And that's still a journey I'm on. It's still something that, you know, if I'm truly alone with my own thoughts, there's still a part that's like, why me? Why is this my story? But I've seen enough and I've felt enough and I've witnessed where his hand has been in things along the way, especially in hindsight, that that's the verse I'm living by these days. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for your time coming soon, sharing your products in my home. And so all of those things, uh, very, very grateful for you. Well, thank you. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I really enjoyed speaking with y'all. 
Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve you, the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community, and we want to stay connected. The best way for you to do that is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you. And it's been very rewarding to see people come to the site and listen to the podcast now from more than over 100 countries. But it's even more important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and one that you're going to share with others. Hey, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music is by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Thank you.